This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, the podcast of exploring strange and unusual worlds, some invented by ourselves, some by other people. Today we're going to cover something that we probably haven't covered at all before. It's not even in any of the books. The Fringeborn. We're talking about children who are discovered to be fringeworthy and then are raised to become explorers in the Fringeworthy universe. Imagine that a bunch of GMs out there are going, So, that's a special class, the Fringeborn? What do they get? Yeah, what's the D20 class for a Fringeborn? What's it like? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that would be. I gotta think about this for, for Savage Worlds. Same right. problem there, Savage Worlds, you're a Fringeborn. What do you get for being that? Well, I guess the question, therefore, would be, is that when you graduate from uh, the Fringe Academy, what would your level be? What would be your experience level that would be assumed to be at that point? In D20 Modern, and Bruce can back me on this, in the age part, table 110 on page 35, starting level and age, young adults and just regular adult would be first level. I would think that they would have enough training at least to be first level, you know, we're going to use the D20 modern classes here, strong, fast, tough, smart, dedicated, charisma here, charismatic hero. If you wanted to do limited experience, i.e., okay, they've been on the fringe paths, they've been through some adventures as teens, they've learned to use weapons in this time, at the very most, these children, these young, well, these young adults now, 18, 19, 20, who have been through this full fringe education, at the very most, would be third level. Yeah. Because they have experiences on the fringe paths. They've been trained far better than the the original ones. They've got some fringe time under their belts. I'd be willing to do that, maybe with some adjustments of their stats because they're still in a developmental phase. I mean, as, as far as their physical stats are concerned, there's a reduction. I know there is. Here, Table 1-9, Aging Effects, same page. Once you get 12 years old, young adult... Your stats are, they're there. It's the diminished stats are age 1 to 11. In The Art of War by Sun Tzu, they tell in order to make the perfect warrior, you have to train a child or a, a, a prospective warrior for seven years. So if you start them at age 11, if you want to run the seven-year fringe campaign, the fringe academy campaign, let's say, okay, at age 11... They take a minus three to their strength and con. This is for D20 parlance. This will vary by system. Minus three to strength and con, minus one to the decks and all your mental stats. Once you hit 12, those penalties disappear because you are considered to be an adult and you don't take, barring fringe travel, middle age is when you start taking a hit to strength, decks, and con and a plus to the mental stats. Now, obviously, if you're not aging due to constant fringe travel, the GM can hand wave that because you are not suffering aging effects. 
But I would say by 12, it says here by 12, yeah, your stats are static. They're there. So, I mean, that's just me basing here, here on the rules. I realize the D20 Modern says at age 12, you're basically treated as an adult with adult stats. Okay. Yeah. But there's a lot of systems out there that probably don't do that, wouldn't say that. Varies by but system. Looking at this, I would say that I kind of disagree with that. I would say that they would have to be uh, quite a bit older. Because, again, I'm looking at my own child, and I'm seeing him between the age of 12 and 14 put on 20, 30 pounds of muscle. My daughter grew, too, between 12 and 14. She's 17 now, and she is definitely physically different than she was at age 12. Faster, so, smarter, so yeah. Maybe you might want to stretch that out a little bit more. At 11, they have a minus 3 strength. They have a minus 1 dex, a minus 3 con, a minus 1 intelligence, minus 1 wisdom, and a minus 1 charisma. And then once they turn 12, bam, that suddenly changes. It just seems to me that you might want to spread that, that uh, 3 points of strength across a little further period of time. If you want to be more realistic, I think that if you're going to be doing an academy where you have children going through developmental phases, I think that it would make a little bit more sense to do that. In the Bureau 13D20, I did the advanced training option. Give uh -huh. that to the kids. Four levels, they raise every two levels. They'll get a chance to put a plus one in some sense. Because during the seven-year training, these kids, I don't think they're going to get more than a plus one in any of the stats anyways. And it would, you would put that into whatever stat that you want the character. If you want the one big burly jock kid who's tough and he's going to be your, the guy who's carrying the heavy guns, he'd go into strength or con. You're going to get the scientist, he's dumping his in intelligence. You're getting the driver or the hand-to-hand the -hand fighter, you know, like the martial artist, dex. Doctor, wisdom, the face man, charisma. You throw that advanced training option, that might get, that'll give him the chance to get that growth spurt in there. Because if not, if you're saying, okay, by the time you get out of the Fringe Academy, you're third level. Um, you don't get fourth level. Right. Yeah, so. Well, what I would do is I would assume that all the kids, when they come in, probably have averages in all their stats. You generate their stats as they would be at, you know, at age 18. And then the difference between 10 and that stat, those are things that you're going to dole out periodically over the, the adventures that they go on representing their training and their life in the academy. So the guy who's going to be really strong, he may be getting like one or two points of strength a year because he's working out. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's not supported by D20 Modern, you know, in the base book. But I, I'm saying I think that that would be what I would do if I was truly working with children and I wanted it to seem more realistic. Bruce, you are familiar with the elite array in d20 where you get these six stats 15 14 13 12 10 and 8 yeah if you're making the characters just switch them around in that and then go from there let's say you want the the big tough jock kid that may not be all that bright 10 intelligence 15 strength and you know like the 14 con he's the big burly corn-fed boy from russia who parents are on the farm and everything and so he's there like i am going for you know and do it that way just another idea. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the thing is, my question, though, is, because I'm going to the GMs out there yelling, but what skills do they have? Okay, the Alice Springs template is for, we found you on the streets of whatever city you're fringe for. We're going to dump you through a six-month process where you are trained to use guns, to be diplomatic, first aid, survival, various technologies that we find out so you can sit there and figure out, oh, this is a pylon, this is a portal, this is a laser pistol. 
and and the skills that are in and again d20 parlance the plus two character level advancement template yeah that you're gonna sit there and you can use that as a base so like okay this is what they learn in six months what in the heck are these kids gonna learn in seven years or more I mean if they're a fringe born we're talking they're gonna be going to school starting age five I would think in that case if it's Five, you're just going to put them in a private regular academy yeah. just to teach them the, the three R's. When they hit that 11, 12-year-old, boom, they go to the Fringe Academy. So it's basically it's, it's one of the common knowledge things they have, which they don't need skills for then. Right, yeah, your basic mathematics, reading, spelling, fluency and literacy in your native tongue. I don't think it's, you have to assume that these kids are going to be somehow being coming out with just with so much more skills than anybody else because they don't learn as fast as an adult does. Yeah, right, right. And so it's, it's going to get spread out anyways. And if we go with the idea that they're going to be like third level, but when they, they graduate or fourth level, if you want to give that final boost, that, that's fine too. But what I would say then is that I'd say that every skill that IDET considers to be core – is going to be one of those class-type skills where you never have to worry about being cross-class. It's going to become a, a permanent class skill. It's just like we give in the IDET training package where you say from this point on, you're always going to be assumed that these skills are not cross-class because IDET wants you to concentrate on them. So it would be the same thing. You say, okay, here's the academy. These are the core skills that they're going to be training these kids in. Therefore, these are all permanent class and then work from there i think speak language is not a class skill for the ida template boom that go well again portals okay speak language is not well no you'll still want to know the language because let's say you're on the fringe paths and you meet somebody from this world you can't speak the language so still it's going to be good to know so speak language might be a um a class skill in this Okay, we'll call it a fringe academy template. Yeah, I mean, you, you're going to run to worlds where, you know, the majority speaks one language, but the people you really want to talk to speak a different language. Yes, and you can start learning. Yeah, there's a reason why you want to learn languages. Speak language would be another class skill. Use the Alice Springs template as a beginning. What other two, three, four, maybe skills you're going to have as a class skill? Oh, knowledge skills, knowledge history. Oh, God, yes. Knowledge history. Okay, technology is already on there, I believe, for um, yeah. the idea. It's a knowledge skill, yeah. Okay. Yeah, knowledge history, knowledge economics. Well, that would be more civics, I think. You're right. Yeah, it would be civics or social studies or... See, this is where you could give it. You could come up with an edge. You know, the edge might be uh, historical extrapolation, you know, like what we were talking about, where they can make a history role on an alternate history to see if they can figure out try and take in what they know and figure out stuff that they don't know based upon extrapolating what would have changed. So in other words, they look at their history book and they go, Napoleon died two years early. Hmm, what would this mean? And then they can make that extra they can make a regular history role, but using the extrapolation edge or feet, figure out what the history is like in this world. Uh, this town didn't get taken over, so it's a safe place for us to go. It also can be rolled into a, a fringe-born feat. Gives you these special bonuses. Fringe-born feat. It would be like educated. Yes. You could use educated. It would plus two and any yeah. two knowledge skills. 
or yeah. to in these specific knowledge skills being history and civics. Yeah. Right. Now, Blix, you mentioned Savage Worlds. Isn't there a jack of all trades edge? There is. Yeah, but it's only for smart skills, and it's, it's and I hate to say it, it's kind of useless. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. I, mean, I, I mean, I can read it to you right now. Basically, the, the jack of all trades. If you're making a uh, unskilled uh, skill check, you're not minus two at. Hey, John, that's not useless. That's actually pretty. It's not. It's not too bad. That's true. Yeah. You're still rolling a D four. You're not rolling a D. You're you're smart. You're just rolling a D four with no minuses at that. It's still pretty nice. But one of the reasons that I suggested that they would forming them into teams, even at the beginning of the academy, was so they could say, "This is the core things that you need to learn." But then these other things, you're going to start being assigned based upon your aptitudes and your interest to learn these types of things so that everybody doesn't end up knowing exactly the same thing and everybody not knowing something else. Yeah. You know, right. you don't want everybody to be excellent shooters and nobody knows history or nobody knows how to craft chemicals. Yeah. That's the beauty of, of D20 then because you actually, you, 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 you're you going to pick your, your primary class. Are you going to be dedicated? Are you going to be uh, strong? You know, you pick that class will actually dictate what kind of skills you're going to specialize in. I think it's more of a meta concept. Yeah. But the worst kind of teams is where everybody gets together uh, at the table after creating their character, and you sit down, and you say, okay, we're now an IDET team, and you find out that half of you all took the same skills. Yeah. yeah. It has two problems. One is there's not skills that that are needed. No one has those skills. And the second thing is, is that now you've got three people who are going to be sharing the same spotlight because every time that task comes up, there's three people to do it. And then what are you going to take turns or whatever, you know, whoever jumps in there first and says they're going to do it. So it just seems to me that if you're going to do this as a campaign, that you really want to say, look, you guys are going to be groomed for these types of positions inside a team. This team functions. You'll have redundancy where redundancy is good, but you'll also have expert knowledge because not everybody can know everything. There is a feat in D and uh, D variant, intelligence thirteen minimum. It's jack of all trades. Right. You give that to your young fringe academy students. You can use any skill untrained. If you don't have ranks in it, you have that feat, you can still, which basically means you add your ability modifier to any skill. At the very mm -hmm. least, let's say you have one guy, he is your history guy. He is the guy who has studied historical extrapolation. In D20, his knowledge history skill is maxed. He skill focuses it. If he has a dedicated level, he dumped in skill emphasis. All of your other people have jack-of-all-trades. If you want to aid another, you have to make a DC-10 roll. If all these people make their DC-10 rolls, let's say you have a six-person team. Everybody makes their roll. Congratulations. The guy with knowledge history just got a plus 10 to that roll. <laughs> so, yeah, it, not, jack of all trades can be really, really good in a team like that if everybody has it because you're going to still have your specialist. You're still going to have your one guy that will just, that's his shtick. But still, it gives a chance for group cohesion. I use that in mind. We have like a, a knowledge roll, but everybody else knows a little bit so they can get those higher roles. And it'd be the same in a Fringe Academy campaign where, yeah, you can still have your spotlight, but everybody still, it, they, it, that, that would prove to make 
team cohesion among the characters as well as among the players because everybody's in it, yet you still know that Mr. History Buff is going to be the one going, yes, that was me. I'm the one that rolled the dice. I'm the one that figured it out. Thank you all for your help, but I did it. So, yeah, you're still going to have it. You can still specialize, yet still everybody is there because of that one feat. And it's Intelligence 13 minimum. In Sarah's Rolls, there's various leadership edges you can take. Now, most of them are their combat benefits, but a couple like being able to give other people bennies is a, is a nice one. Mm-hmm. So this would be somebody who would be uh, at an early age. Someone said, this person is probably going to be the leader. Therefore, that character would be encouraged to take those leadership-type edges. Yes. This forming of teams, at least you know, vestigially, is going to be part of the uh, campaign as you run these kids through the academy. They're going to be learning who's going to be the leader, who's going to be making the decisions, who's going to be the specialist in this or that, who's going to be the person who likes to be support. Those people should not you know, have the skills that require them to be out in front of everybody because they want to be support. And, and you have a, a perfect opportunity to do that where it doesn't always make sense to do it in a regular, here's a cattle call of people who are found fringeworthy, we, we just mix and match them together and you're stuck with what you got. Here's an opportunity to fine tune these kinds of teams to make them more effective just by uh, the way they train together and the way they develop their skills together. It's very much like a lot of the uh, European schools. At a very early age, you're set into a trade or, or whatever your higher learning is going to be. It's not a foreign concept, and, and the United Nations, being a big part of the, the whole uh, Frenchworthy thing, they're going to have access to uh, some of the best people who, who know how to do this kind of thing. Okay. Some of you GMs might get the idea of, oh, I want to run an adventure with 12-year-olds. And, and we have an adventure just like that. It, it, it actually involves Tamelor and children. That's true. They're all part of the Fringe Explorer Scouts. Their job is to see if they can blend in and Pax Romana and not stand out as being from Earth. They get involved with the local mob, Lundindium. Lord help them at this point. Hmm. Would you have one person playing the adult, the minder, and have the rest all be kids, or would they all be kids? The kids would be the player characters, and you would just have the adult there edging mm -hmm. them on. Just at certain times, you were just going, no, you do not sit there and put a firecracker under the robe of the Roman senator as he's standing there. You don't do that. It's not as funny as you thought it was going to be. Right, exactly. I mean, but yeah, the kids should be the stars. Now, there might be some time you might want the one guy that wants to play the adult. He just, and it's like, he's like, no, I don't want to play a kid. Okay, fine, you do that. But usually, I would think personally, it would be kind of cool to have all the player characters as these 12-year-old kids starting in this fringe academy, traveling the worlds, occasionally getting into trouble. Let's talk a little bit more about the campaign. If I was actually to do this, this wouldn't be you know, a long-term campaign. I would see this as one of these situations where every adventure would be like a year. So if they started when they were 11 or 12, then by the time you ran six adventures, they were graduating. Right. So at most, it would be like a year campaign before these guys were now ready to join the real groups as adults. Because no, you know, no one's going to want to be a 12-year-old forever. Yeah, right. Doing a bit like the Harry Potter novels, where... Every book is a year, right, exactly. 
that does come to mind, yes. That's a good idea, because they were written with the idea that the children that were reading the stories, as the new books came out, they would then match the ages of the children in the school. We're probably adults here playing a game, so we're not going to have that dynamic going on. But I still think it offers a lot of new things, because at some point, these kids are going to want to start dating. These kids are going to have something terrible is going to happen to one of them. They're all going to have to deal with it. Or maybe one of their teachers gets killed on one of these missions. Well, you know, they're going to have to deal with the fact that someone that they know has died suddenly and possibly horribly. They're going to have to deal with night terrors with after they see the first Meller. About the equivalent of, you know, that when you turn 16 and they send you out to uh, school for driving and they show you all the terrible highway accident movies? Yeah, blood runs red on the fringe paths. Yeah, I can see somebody... Blood on the asphalt. I can see at some point they're going to truck out, you know, the Meller movie where you get to see some team get eviscerated on screen in high-def color, and then they're all going to say, so, I think maybe you need to work a little harder on your weapons training? These kids go, you know, spend the next two weeks, you know, having night terrors. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. They're crying, trying to put their guns together and stuff. Yeah, I don't want to die. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, you're not putting that together right. <laughs> Do it right now. 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 Meller's going to get you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> And the kid, the kid who screws up has to wear the Meller bait T-shirt all week. <laughs> oh, oh, that's just painful to think about. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's worse than a dunce cap. Oh my right. goodness! And of course, that's what they call him for the rest of the of the five years he's there, right? Right, right, right. Hey, Meller bait! Why don't you get up on that pole there, Meller bait, and uh, hang this flag for me? Oh, gee. Well, okay, so, or maybe not. Maybe it's, you know, I'm sure that the player would get pretty tired of that really fast. So a good GM would, would offer a path to redemption for this, this player, okay, this character, so that he manages to save the day and, and that terrible uh, moniker is erased. I wouldn't fringe Academy campaign. Would I really want to be introducing, I mean, just... It, it just wouldn't be right. A 12-year-old, 13, 14, 15-year-old, and bring Meller into that campaign? No, I, I think it would be around the 16. I mean, they would have heard about it, but they don't have to show them the graphic movies of it. Unless, of course, they're already watching them on YouTube, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I... T- My kid can watch anything he wants to on YouTube without me realizing it. You know, so why would these kids already have seen those movies? Uh you know those movies of the Meller are going to get out. You yeah. know it. Just with the Meller, yeah, I would think that these kids would hear about it, and you would use it, like, in-game as a scare tag, like John was doing. Boy, you better watch it. The Meller's going to get you. You don't want to have these 12, 13, even 16. Yeah. I don't know. Just throwing that into that type of campaign would just be... That, that might just be, you know, a stickling point between, like, Bruce and I. Just... You would use it at most just in the campaign to motivate them, but actually throw a 16-year-old boy with a gun up against a Meller? Oh, never. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, no, you wouldn't actually do it except perhaps in a virtual environment, you know, where you know you, you, you had them going on first-person shooters inside of computer systems with VR helmets, and you, and you throw a Meller in at one point. All of a sudden, the door opens, the big boss is a Meller, and... Uh, Wipes up the party. Kobayashi Maru. 
if you're not quick on yeah, it could be a, their version of the Kobayashi Maru where everyone dies every time you run into the Meller. And then, of course, when you, when you come out, the drill sergeant's in there. And you know what? That was set on easy. <laughs> Gosh, John, I just I'm just so glad you don't have children. <laughs> Military, he's thinking back of his own drill sergeant. I know, I know, but he was an adult when that happened. I mean, really, <laughs> crush their poor little spirits. Oh my goodness. So we were kind of talking a little bit about inspirations. Harry Potter is an example of this kind of academy where you're not going to be dealing with, of course, the well, you could be dealing somewhat with horrendous things because I don't think you're going to have the equivalent of a, of a wizard war going on, but you're going to be hearing about some of the stuff that's going out on the fringe paths. And if you do travel to other worlds, there's always a possibility that you could have an encounter with a fringe pirate while the bus is going over to the hunting lodge one day. Yeah. You're always going to have something random come up that the, the teachers are not going to know that's out there. And, of course, the kids are going to be sitting there looking at the, the teacher going, Oh, come on, professor. You know, okay, fine. It's funny. You know, this guy and the professor's just got that look like, This ain't me. And then just watch these kids go, Ah! <laughs> when the professor's going, I'm not joking. I didn't do this. I don't know these people. Those are real guns. Yeah. You could take the campaign in another direction, too. I mean, you could decide that when you're going to end this campaign up, you know, your students are about to graduate and whatever, and it turns out they find out that in the last year, uh, their professor actually became a Meller. It's not really their final exam. It wasn't planned that way, but it kind of becomes their French-worthy final exam. Take out your professor who's actually a Meller. Sure. I mean, the idea of a final exam where you have to basically deal with something real is a good idea, and it's been used in a lot of stories. There's Space Cadet, a Heinlein, which talks about this kind of environment. There's also the Tom Corbett Space Cadet series that came way out way back in the 50s. They were in, you know, like 18 or so, but they still were very young and untried. The one that really comes to mind, though I'm a little bit afraid of it, because they were very, very serious about putting these kids into harm's way, and that's Ender's Game, which really encapsulates this idea that you're joining this and you have to succeed. So we're going to train you as hard as possible, and we're going to put you into what looks to be almost you know, fairly close real combat because you need to be actually good at this because we're going to send you out against the bad guys that are going to take out, you know, taking out the universe. Yeah. Much in the same way the movie The uh, Soldier. Yeah, that was brutal. You know, the way they right. treated those kids was, was brutal. Uh, academy that you might run into, that uh, if you're playing the, the Fringe Academy, well, you might run into some world out there that's uh, already you know Fringe-aware, and they've already had their own Fringe-worthy program, and that's the way they decided to have their Fringe school. And so you might run into some of these little cold-eyed warriors who don't talk because that's not efficient. That's a waste of time. Yeah. Earth Prime's going to be doing this, but so will Victorian Earth, so will Pax Romana, so will Erd. Unless they're doing it together, John. That's true. They could be doing it together, but yeah. There's always that having an ace in the hole. You know, we have this special group over here that we've been training just in case. I do like the, and use this term, and I've heard it in, in movies, multi-culti. Where you have a couple of Earth Primers, a Pax Romana, a Victorian, 
and maybe who knows, even a young slarg or demixie or something. Hey, I'm a little slarg. Hello, hello. Ha. Oh dear God, I opened that can of worms. Oh, <laughs> yeah, why did you do that? <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. But yeah, I'll, I'm sure I will catch grief after the the recorders go off. Anyways. You have these five or six various races, their kids are all there, and it would not only teach them about fringe culture and interacting together with people from the earth, you are teaching them right off the bat. You are amidst people of other cultures at all times. You're not just, okay, a six, a group of six earth prime kids going to Victorian England. Yeah, you're in another culture there. But when they go back home, they're still amid a group of Earth Primers. No, no, you've got the two Earth Primers, the Pax Romana, the Norlander, and that other one I mentioned, which I will not bring up again. <coughs> yes. Either and, of them. Yeah, and they're still dealing with the intercultural things. The Pax right, Romana right. might be looking at one Earth Primer that may be considered a minority, and he's having to learn, guess what? In this group, he is not of your slave ethnicity you treat him as an equal or the well, Northlander might not like or not the Northlander. yeah it was the others who, who think women should stay home the heavies that's them the short yeah. stocky the yeah. heavies you might have one of those earth primers be a female guess what you're learning women are on the fringe paths deal with it <laughs> so you're you are teaching these guys to act as a true interdimensional community from jump so that's another good thing this is almost a standard in most of uh, the anime series where they in, they have takes place in schools. There's such a huge eclectic bunch, and that it provides a lot of uh, creative and and interesting kinds of interactions that don't actually require you to have you know to be totally mission oriented. So, and I think that would be very important in, in, as far as having a school, the interactions between the kids outside of the actual missions. Actually, that brings a good one, because that would be Tenshi Muyo GX. Well, he's gone to the Space Academy. He's learning to become uh, a protector. About halfway through, he graduates, and of course, the rest of the adventures are him dealing with the fact that he's now the captain of a ship. Okay, this must be relatively new. I've seen a bit of Tenshi Muyo, and I've seen all of Tenshi Universe. Okay, this must be a new one. I'm. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. It's a side story. Let's see, another inspiration. We've already mentioned Harry Potter. Yeah. At certain school up in upstate New York with the professor with the begins the last name of X. Those yeah. comics are really good. The entire X canon. <laughs> they would be fantastic fodder for it. Obviously, the kids, if they're the multi-culty and like an alien race here or there, might have a unique ability. Obviously, it's not going to be as a high-powered level as a superhero comic. But you can still draw the adventures and adapt from that. You might have a, a young fringe pirate who's out making his way. And let's say that for that fringe pirate, it's an initiation. And he runs across these fringe academy students. That could be a constant foe between them. Well, I would think that the fringe pirates, if they actually had children, they would be probably more along the lines of an apprentice kind of system. So you could have somebody, the only survivor of a slaughtered fringe pirate encounter is this one kid, and what are you going to do with them? Well, you know, you might put them into the academy. 
<laughs> okay, let me get this straight. A fringe pirate's kid raised in the fringe pirate culture becomes part of the IDET Fringe Academy? Yeah. It can happen. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, that's the equivalent of having a, a kid from North Korea being schooled in some place in California. I want to get things just as, as diverse and as, as opposite poles as we can possibly get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It could be somebody who was homeschooled in one of these primitive and ideologically extreme communes in the United States. And, and one day their methane breeder blows up and kills everybody in the compound except this one kid. He becomes a ward of the state and they hand him off to a foster family who ha- and then put him into the public education. Well, it's going to be an interesting day when he first goes to school. Let's say that the guy who got the fringe detail, he messed up because of something, and he gets stuck on this detail, and he's got six kids, all these various fringe races, and he's having to go up against, let's say it's a fringe pirate, and this fringe pirate is now going after this guy with his six charges. Now, the fringe pirate might be on the outs, too. So he's on his own, and it's basically him and what he can amass, and he's going after his... I debt nemesis, for lack of a better term, and these six kids. So now this, I mean, it could be a real way to face these kids who are 14, 15, 16. Okay, these are fringe pirates. And you also have the interplay of, this is our teacher's enemy. This guy has already gone toe-to-toe with him. If we want our our, our teacher to be protected, we need to, you know, step up and help him out, and it would help them focus their skills on real-life combat stuff. Because you got this fringe pirate wanting to take out this guy who may have embarrassed him by beating him or something. So, I mean, you could do that and get the kids involved and teach them about, okay, these are all these fringe pirates are. They are not nice people. Not everyone is going to be in the spirit of commonwealth and wonder and happiness that Idit wants to be. There are just some people who are anathematic to them. So... That could be another thing for the Fringe Academy campaign. Right. Yeah. Uh, another example of a, of a show where they have a lot of high school-type uh, dynamics with people with disparate skills were two that come to mind. One is Ramna One Half, which is much more of a comedy. Everybody there comes from all kinds of different backgrounds, has all kinds of different interests. The second one is Full Metal Panic. Again, you have a high school, and one guy is actually – was pretty much raised to be a revolutionary. And now he's trying to fit in with a regular high school class. And every time something happens, he goes into full combat mode and and, and does something outrageous. Meanwhile, you you have this whole social dynamic because they're like, well, he's kind of nice, but, but he's, He's so extreme, you know, and you know, can we, and, and and he's trying to help people by saying, well, what what would you like? And he says, well, I I really like to get to that club. So he proceeds to go and break the legs of all the other contenders for the club. Oh, I wasn't supposed to do that. No, you know, bam, bam, bam. You know, the hyperdimensional mallet, yeah, comes out, whacks someone to keep him in line. Yeah. Hammer space, right? Yeah, right. Hammer space, right. <laughs> Anyways, I'm saying these are these are good for giving you ideas of possible interpersonal storylines, not like you know missions. I, I think that uh, adventure you should basically have a, a focus for each of those missions for once every year. It still would allow you to have a lot of planning, you know, a lot of interpersonal kind of stuff going on. Rivalries. What if you know? What if you had two people going for the the leadership position? 
only one person may get it, or maybe they you might end up breaking and having to go to another to another group, another team that's forming. You know, and I think this would be more of a campaign for people who are more interested in the social aspects of of fringeworthy than just pure, you know, okay, what's the mission? Okay, let's go do it. Let's get get the the whatchamacallit, bring it back to Earth. Okay, fine. Now what's the next mission? This isn't that kind of campaign. Glee. It's set in a high school. It's set with a lot of competitive people. You know, it's also a musical, but, you know. So, like, fame? Yeah, it's sort of like fame. Fame's you know? a good example. Yeah. I know there's a whole bunch of science fiction stories out there that have involved academies and stuff like that where they go on their final mission. They all get onto a ship. They go flying out somewhere. And something terrible happens, and they have to fix the ship. And they all have to work together. That's that's the kind of stories that we're talking about. These are the kind of missions that they're going to be doing. And I'm sure that in a lot of cases, these so-called situations are going to be set up. If they do nothing, then yes, they're going to be in big trouble. But if they work together effectively, then they will be able to, to fall, form solutions, just like every fringeworthy mission that you have your players go through. Was it during the summer? No, no. Tunnel in the Sky. Kids go to the world just for their graduation exercise. It's their senior excursion, yeah. They're supposed to spend a week on a primitive world using the skills that they've had because they know that a lot of them are going to become colonists to some of these more primitive worlds. Yep, and then a nova happens and breaks the connection to Earth, and they're stuck there. Right. And now they got to survive, and they try not to go into, into a Lord of the Flies situation, which it sort of does a little bit. Well, you know, they, yeah, <laughs> they, they have to. It's, it's a little bit of a Blue Lagoon, too. If you look at a lot of the young adult literature, yeah. you know, they're, they're, you're going to find things like Witch Academy and other things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I think that your best bets as far as this kind of thing is actually probably going to be in Japanese animation because so much is yeah. oriented around kids in high school. And there's so much out there that's, that's good uh, as far as this is concerned. Uh, I'm, I'm watching Soul Eater right now, which is run by Death himself. And he's training kids to become warriors to go and stop uh, these oh. people who, once they become corrupted and they turn into the equivalent of demons, they have to go and harvest their souls and bring them back so they don't turn into the ultimate demonic creature they're in pairs one of them is the warrior and the other one actually turns into the warrior's weapon you still have this whole thing where they're in a school together and they're sent on missions but it's really about them developing trust and effective cooperation between the two pairs of individuals and also being able to work together with other pairs on missions so it's it's still there what we're talking about is still there yeah, so like, like Naruto as well. It's, I don't know how I forgot that. Naruto, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Try to. <clears throat> <Anyway>. <laughs> yeah, well, there's always Pokemon. No, 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 we're good, really. No, no. <laughs> Great Miller, I choose you! Yeah. Whoa, oh man. Stay in the Pokemon, yeah. That would be... You guys have completely stepped out of my comfort zone. So, I'm noticing, yeah, it seems to be anime is going to be our most prevalent thing for like a fringe academy campaign, uh, other than Harry Potter and the the X canon from Marvel. Zoom, the the speedster who was retired because he thought he lost his speed, they and they had found a bunch of new kids, and it's like 
you were a superhero. We need these kids trained. And they had somewhat unique powers, Mm -hmm. but he was still able to bond them into a team because of his experience. So that would work. And ultimately, that should be the the goal, I think, of the campaign is to take these people and bond them into an effective team so that they can, at the end of the campaign, graduate. And then you can decide if you want to keep playing them as adults. There's no reason why you can't continue from that point, but then it would be more the general type of fringeworthy type missions. But you would have such a rich background for these characters by the time they get to what we say third level. Yeah. 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 By by third level, you are considered even if you start a campaign fresh at third level, that means your guys have some experience under their belts. They have some skills. They got some some background, decent backstory. And with backstory that these guys were not only trained together, but you actually role-played it, mm-hmm. that's the yeah. best backstory you can get. And then just yeah. you have that extra oomph for when it's like, okay, you've heard about the Mellor. You've been hearing all these scare tactics about the Mellor during your training. Guess what? You just found one. And it's even worse than what they said. Our group is currently playing our adult characters right now. We've spent the last, I think, two or three months playing kids from different ages building our characters up. It's actually kind of cool because our characters have history. You know, our characters grew up together. It does add to the gameplay. Okay, all right. Let's say you've been playing a character for a while. You know, an adult, normal adult character, a you know, a standard campaign. Either you have a TPK or, or your character gets killed. Let's say everybody else's characters are pretty, you know, pretty experienced or whatever, or fairly experienced. You could play one of these kids who's, you know, eighteen or nineteen and already third, fourth, or fifth level, uh, depending on how far you want to advance him. And it would just be sort of like the old. There was an old game called Bushido where. Yes. If your character died and he had built up some karma and stuff, he actually got extra experience points for the next character you played, sort of like your your descendant. Um, but it was it was sort of a way to keep you from having to start over from scratch. This could be a good tool, a really good way to to bring a new character in, but not make him like a green brand new character. This guy could actually he's coming in, he knows about the fringe paths, he's been trained, and he's not like some cab driver who happened to be fringe worthy. He's actually somebody who's trained to survive on the fringe paths from the get. What happens when the rest of the team are a bunch of ex-cab drivers, fruit birds, you know, farmers and so forth, and here comes Mr. Know-it-all. Well, hold on. In this situation I'm talking about, those are experienced characters, so they'll already have skills and knowledge and everything. You know, he won't be like he's starting over from scratch. I know, but but there's a certain attitude. I mean, I was born this way. I was I was raised and trained, and you guys are just, you know, well, yeah. Right. No, no, no. And it would make a good dynamic. I think it'd be funny. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, because you have the one guy... You have the lieutenant usually who he has been through officer training school and he is spit and polish. Meanwhile, you've got all the others. You might have a sergeant who's been through the ranks. He's second in command of the team. He's got military experience. Your leader, however, is the one who has been spit and polish. He's the academy boy. He was a ROTC. The ROTC kid in there and all the people who have hardcore military they're looking at him like you know he's a he's a dandy or he's gonna get us killed right exactly because he hasn't had that experience that we've had 
So that could be the same thing. You could have the fringe born who's all spit and polish and he's had relatively pampered. Meanwhile, these guys have had to learn theirs. They've had to learn all their fringe training adventuring. They've gotten their three levels from being out on the fringe paths after going through the six month training and then maybe seeing a member or two of their team die. This new spit and polish kid fringe born might be due to one of their members dying. So you also have to take into account, fine, we're getting a replacement. What do you mean he's a fringe born, a fringe brat? Oh, great. So that's more conflict within the group. I mean, it's not, not enough to, you know, group cohesion because they all have the same goal, but just their outlooks because of how they've gained their fringe Mm -hmm. skills will come into play. Yeah. In a hundred years, it's going to be normal. You, you know, in fact, I would imagine the training may actually drop back a little bit because there'll be hundreds of fringe born, if not thousands. You're not special anymore. Right. And therefore, a lot of the things we're talking about right now don't apply because you're just a normal person. Well, not only that, but you have you're they're going to have found that equipment that replaces skills, and they're going to have things where they're not going to have to study so much because. You know, some of the ways they had to trick out the system, you know, to, to get electricity to work and stuff like that. You know, he's going to say, oh, no, 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 I have uh, I have those um, electrocyte cells in my body. And, you know, when I step out of the French path, I just grab a hold of a flashlight that has contacts on it. And I charge it myself from my own body. You know, he, they're going to have that kind of stuff. So they're not going to have to learn all those tricks. They might have computers that work on the French path. They may even be able to use the French path as a computer so they don't have to know all this history and stuff like that. Oh, no, no, you go over to the pylon and you hit this thing and it tells me what's going on there. You know, something like that. Of course, that's where campaigns are a totally different campaign, too, because this yeah. is where you might find a way to, well, turn on fringeworthiness. You know, yeah. bam, you're fringeworthy. Bam, you're fringeworthy. <laughs> as soon as you do that, then you just make your team out of the most preferential group of people and you just make them all fringeworthy and you send them out. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it also implies a level of culture on the pathway. The pathway is going to be busy. Both says that pa- pathway is going to be used. Yeah, in, in, in the in the at least in the core in the core area, there's going to be a lot of traffic going back and forth, and a lot of folks trying to figure out how to turn the big system back on again. Yeah, that's yeah. down 120 years down the line. That's the relay yeah. campaign. We yeah, by that time, fringe born against fringe born and original train that won't even be an option anymore yeah this would be more what what we say 10 to 20 years into the campaign anymore and we're just yeah yeah right well you don't want to do this when they're not special anymore right if everybody is just you know kidding this kind of training where's the adventure you might as well just start with full-blown uh explorers then at some point it's going to change we can call it the mid the mid-level campaign or before mid-level? It would be in the middle campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Fringeworthy are still rare enough. Not everyone who's found Fringeworthy will want to become, will want to join. Right. There are people out there, like, you know, say, doctors, who are going, that's really good. You know, keep me in mind if you need someone to go out there and help somebody. But uh, you know what? I live here. These are my people. I'm not leaving my patients. I'm not leaving my, my career here. But if you need something to go out there one sometime to help, you know, I might do it on a, on a case-by-case basis. You know, so there's there's thing like that. Mm-hmm. One last thing. This was explained to me by my wife. If 
find young adult literature. And we are basically talking about a young adult adventure type uh, campaign. And that is, it's all about firsts. It's your first love. It's your first shave. It's your first loss. It's your first whatever. Your first kill. Your first kill. Cooking your first meal out on the, the Serengeti Plains of, of the equivalent of 100 million years ago. If you're going to do this kind of campaign, that should be part of it. That should be a, a main focus, is that you're talking about this person is experiencing this for the first time. I kind of find it funny because if you have your typical peer group gaming in this, it's going to be weird because they'll have their own teen experiences and then guess what? You're throwing different things like, okay, it's your first fight against a fringe pirate or it's your first time through a fringe portal or it's your first time dealing with an alien culture ever that, you know, first contact will take on that much more of a meaning. Let's say you're in this fringe academy and guess what? You're the only team that is out there. You find this new portal you have to explore. And it's the teacher and the six kids. Yeah. Right. Or you can make it more social. Like, you know, so you're visiting Pax Romana and a local noble's kid takes a shine to you. You know, and you're 16, you're going... <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't get that, John. Uh, romance. Oh, okay. <laughs> Of course, you know, you can could, you could, you could make it so it's boy and girl or boy and boy or girl and girl. You never know. And you're going to have to deal with uh, unavoidable separation. Hey, yes. I like you and I want to have a relationship with you, but I'm in this academy that's 200 miles away from here over the Fringe Pass, but I might as well be on a different world. Wait a second, I am on a different world. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you know, but love will conquer all, and and you'll come back for me. Yeah, yeah, I'll get right on that. Hey, look, look yeah, look, look. I'm looking at the bare wrist. Hey, look at the time. I gotta go. Yeah, but but it could also be very. You know, I want to be with you. I want to stay with you. I want to share your life. But that's not my fate. That's not what I plan for my own life, and have to make that hard decision where you say, you know, I'm choosing between two things that are valuable, and I can only do one of them. That's part of growing up, too. The first time you have to make a hard decision where you don't get to have everything. It's like the couple, the young couple that are together when they graduate high school, and one of them goes to college, or they go to different colleges. Right. I see it also happening with people who are the closest of boyfriend, girlfriends in college, and then they go in and they get recruited to different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. I've seen engaged couples get broken up over that. Well, it can happen in the academy as well. Oh, man. I just saw two words that would end up defining this campaign in a good way and a bad way. Two words. Teen angst. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't have 18 angst. You're not doing it right. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's grabbing that concept that everything is new, that it's not the same old, same old. And, and you know, you don't want to have your adventures dealing with stuff that happened to them when they were six. This is the new stuff that they are now having to deal with. I think it'd be a lot of fun. What I'm wondering here is that would this be a good way of bringing in teen players 
because you know they're they're basically playing the, their their peers in this fringeworthy setting rather than saying, well, you're playing somebody who's 21 to 30 years old, or is that what they want to play? Just like girls who are 13 year olds, they go and they read adult women magazines. You know, the girls that are eight read Teen Beat because they're not teens yet. Is this going to be something that would be more interesting to an adult? Or would we like go, ah, teen eggs, no, I already did, dealt with that for, for seven years. I don't want any more of that. I, I'm hoping I, that's not the case. When you look at, you know, you were talking before um, about what defines teen fiction, you know, or young adult fiction, that's exactly what defines it. It's about characters that age. I was just wondering who the audience would be for this particular kind of campaign. Uh, I personally would enjoy doing it just because, you know, I could play somebody totally different who would not necessarily be assumed to be the most competent person, which would be good for people coming into a game, especially a game world that is as rich and but also as challenging as Fringeworthy. You'd say, okay, yeah, you're, you're going on these explorations, but... We're not going to pull out the big guns yet because you're still in the academy. So there's a buffer going on there. And, and, and maybe they some people might prefer that. Some of the more timid exploring people who are into role-playing would, would might enjoy that. I, I just wonder. It would be kind of cool because I have my 17-year-old daughter and my, as of Monday, my 11-year-old nephew. And both of them, they role-play. The nephew is in my Friday game my daughters and if I could get them together, that this would be a cool campaign for them. Obviously, the nephew would be playing someone a little older because of, you know, he's eleven. My daughter's seventeen. Right. But right. still, been having age different people on a fringe team. They oh, may yeah. all be the same age. They could be different ages, and you just happen to have them together because it could be early on where that's all you have are kids of different ages. Mm-hmm. Or, or it's being part of learning to be responsible. Right. Guess what? You're mentoring. You, you. It's a buddy system. You have three older, three younger. Each of you, you know, the 15, 16, and 17-year-olds pick the 12, the 13, or the 14-year-old. You're responsible for keeping an eye on him or her. I'm not babysitting these guys. And, the, and well, yeah, the instructor would be going, hey, I got to babysit all of you. Guess what? You know what rolls downhill. You know? Right. <laughs> but you're not babying. You're mentoring. Yeah, That's yeah, it. yeah. Wink. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm serious. That is a core concept in the Boy Scouts. The older Scouts are supposed to teach the younger Scouts how to do things. It's part of them learning how to be leaders is by them instructing other boys. In, or other girls if you were in the Girl Scouts. So this is a very valid concept to have in this kind of an academy. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And, and believe me, you don't know something until you try to teach it to somebody else. Oh, yes. Trust me. Yeah. Again, the 11-year-old nephew with gaming. <laughs> <laughs> this is his first campaign, the one that I run on Friday nights. Okay, sir, I'm ready to go. Well, no, it's funny. We, <laughs> I, I sit there and um, Eric, who made the questions, I go, oh, come on, Jericho, he's really trying. And Eric looks at me and goes, oh, yeah, your nephew's trying. <laughs> well, of course, he's my nephew. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Right, right. If you are adults playing, you have to, you have to learn to do the voice. No, you don't. No, 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 no. come on. It's implied <laughs> I don't know any kid who talks like that, John. 
usually it, it's not all that quick. And if you wanted to do it in one game session, where yeah. if for comedic effect, and even that, I'm sorry, that one in particular would get annoying after about, you know, oh, let's see, you're in the second round of combat, and you're yelling orders in that voice. Uh, okay, done. <laughs> yeah, rem- remember, you're still going to want to play heroes. Yeah. Right. These are heroes in training. You're going to want to find them attractive, but it's good to have quirks. They can have flaws. We want them to have flaws, okay? It's because that'll give them something to work themselves through. You know, the guy from Pax Romana who thinks of everybody as being as inferior socially suddenly finds himself surrounded by people who consider them to be not only his equals, but might also look down on him because of his what they consider to be a social unenlightenment because of their point of view about slavery. There's a lot of opportunities there for, you know, to have people have flaws that they can work out of. You know, there, it's okay for someone to be a coward, you know, in the sense that they've never had to deal with physical attacks before. You might have the people who have been raised in such a pampered environment that what, the first time they have to go out and uh, dig a trench uh, out behind a bush somewhere on a camping trip, they're like, no, I'd rather wait until the mission is over halfway through the next day realize they can't <laughs> i've seen it all in boy scouts it's amazing it's you know, what's the thing where in space balls where you got barf going water water you got the robot oil oil you got princess vespa room service room service, service. yes <laughs> it, well i mean that's the whole idea is you want to keep pushing them outside of their comfort zone you're going to have to really develop these characters as do their likes and dislikes and whatever. That's what this campaign is going to have to be mostly about, is interacting on a highly social level. This is not the mission where you send them out on first contact. You know, they're, they're, that's not what you would do with a bunch of uh, fledgling uh, teens. No. No. Yeah, because you're going to be all within the, the comfortable, what did you call it, John? core worlds. Yeah, first contact. I thought about that. As soon as that came out of my mouth, first contact is not going to be an option. You'll have your first world you go to that isn't Earth. But it will be well explored. It will be a core world. It will be Victorian, Pax Romana, Erlander, maybe the Golden Horde by the time that they're in there and everything, and you've explained to the con, we're going to bring some of our youths over to let you see how we raise our children. Great! We will teach them the way of the warrior! Right. Doesn't mean there isn't opportunity for unexpected things to happen. On Victorian Earth, there's a submarine pen with no submarines in it. Well, maybe you're out there on a ship, and maybe somebody's got spies, and they realize there's a whole bunch of fringeworthy kids that are on a sailing mission. You know, they're sailing from England over to France, and all of a sudden, the Nautilus pops up, and they get abducted and taken on a, an extended voyage under the sea. Well, it could happen. Yeah. So I'm just saying, just because you go to a safe world doesn't mean it's always going to be safe. Oh, yeah. And that there is no opportunity for adventure. Even on the, the worlds that they know, yes, these are our allies. There are still so many variables that these children are going to be, okay, we had our adventure, yes. <laughs> Where did you have it? Victorian Earth. And they're like, what do you mean? Nothing happens there. <laughs> it's bland. It's dry. They're all, you know, tea at four o'clock. No, no. <laughs> Not when they get sent down to the Serengeti and they get to see the game preserve that's lorded over by Lord Greystone. Yeah. 
but they also have to keep their eyes out because there are poachers you know, who are willing to use lethal force if they're captured. Right. And, there, and there's uh, park rangers, more or less, who are willing to use lethal force and maybe provide a meal for the lions on occasion as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not safe. Controlled. That's the idea. You, you want to give them a leash you know, and a lot of slack, but, but there's still going to be oversight. Hopefully they won't slip off the leash too often. I'm sure that whenever one of these kids gets themselves killed on an off-world uh, trip, there's going to be some serious repercussions. Yeah, yeah, that could be that could be a bit of a PR nightmare, right? Yeah. But ultimately, the response has to be: if this was not the result of, of negligence, or even if it was, these kids are going to have to deal with tremendously dangerous situations soon in their lives. Yeah. So we can't put them on a, a, a nice South Sea island, you know, where there's nothing to worry about except scratching themselves on some coral on the sandy white beaches. They have to be placed in positions where they are tested to their utmost with a reasonable amount of safety, but not so much safety as that they can't learn anything, that they can't be tested. I, I would have fun with the big hoo-hoo-barrah or whatever like that and, and hopefully get the kids an opportunity to actually get in front of the cameras and try to explain how this terrible thing happened and give them a chance to, to bounce off their angsty kind of stuff and, and their sense of loss and all those things. That would be a great scene to have in the adventure. But, you know, ultimately it can't really change anything because the, the fringe paths are still there. The, Yep. We have to go explore mm -hmm. them. That's what we do. Right. <laughs> there are no such thing as friendly worlds, including Earth Prime. You can have an adventure where someone kidnaps them on Earth Prime because, hey, yeah. these are special kids. Right. You could have a 9.0 earthquake that sets off a nuclear reactor right next to where the hotel in which the French-born are staying. Don't forget the tsunami. Yeah, and the tsunami. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there is no safe place. You could take the kids, these fringe born through a modern day adventure, and just all sorts of stuff happening. And sure. just because they got this unknown energy signature, they still are human. Oh, yeah. They're still going to have to deal with the stuff on their world. Their mm -hmm. celebrity just puts a spotlight on them, or yeah, a little red light, depending on the you know the the scenario. <laughs> but still, they're they're normal people. There is nothing. Physically special about them. It's not like they are superheroes. It is not like they have these magical powers. You might also have to deal with some of the things like, okay, they're fringeworthy. They're a huge resource. Are they allowed to carry weapons? What you mean, like in a, if there, it's an Earth Prime adventure, or even out and about. I was thinking specifically of Earth Prime. I don't know what the the minimum age is for a carry permit. I'm just wondering is that if you had these people who are so valuable that there might be people willing to abduct them and hold them for ransom, that you might actually have them walking around with weaponry, trained in its effective use and, and prepared to use it. That would be up to the GM to adjudicate as far as look at the carry, the concealed carry laws or the open carry laws of your state or whatever and go from there. I think it also depends on the tone of the campaign you're trying to run. Right. You're not going to have these kids constantly packing. That's just, if you're just teaching them to go from regular world to regular world, nine times out of ten, you're going to be relying on the 
we'll use the term, the fringe teacher, the fringe sitter, he'll be the one packing. Yeah, the kids might have tasers or something like that, or pepper spray. At the most, yeah. Or yeah. maybe, you well, know. That's still something. If they have a, a knife, they would probably need to know how to use it. Yeah, you know, they're not going to be normal kids. They're going to know that they are a valuable commodity walking around. Well, if you're talking about on Earth Prime, that's where this gets kind of questionable. But if you're talking about like on the on the pathways themselves, like let's say they're traveling from one school to another, where they're 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 going on a you know a simple mission where they're just going to go check out you know the the hunting lodge or something. When you get into the the, the bus. That, that goes from Hatsumi base off to wherever, okay? Is there a weapon rack? I would say yes. I would say yes. Yeah. And, and that's because the fringe path is unbelievably unpredictable. My family's originally from West Virginia, so I spent a lot of time there as a kid. You were 12 years old. You carried a gun around in the woods with you because you were trained with that. We had a gun in the house all the time. It was just one of those things where in that situation, you were trusted with it because you knew how to use it. I used to shoot skeets when I was about uh, 12, 13 years old. But my first time shooting a weapon, though, was when I was about 10, and my dad let me sh- shoot, a, shoot a rifle. And Man, that hurt my shoulder. That's pretty much my experience, too. The last thing that I'd want to mention is that here we have a group of kids that are fringeworthy, and they're spending an awful lot of time in training, possibly in an urban area or, you know, traveling about, but they're not really full-fledged explorers. We want the full-fledged explorers out there exploring worlds. So what is it the full-fledged explorers do when they're not exploring that maybe we could have leveraged these kids to be doing a lot more of? Hmm. Finding more fringe-worthy. I think they'd be trained in using crystals as a central part of their curriculum with the idea being that, oh, as soon as we can, we're going to issue you all your own crystal and you are going to use that crystal to find as many fringe-worthy as you can as you travel about. Oh, think of that. No, no, that's perfect, Bruce. Summer vacation. They get fully funded summer vacations to all these different really cool places in the world. Little Tommy, we're going to send you to France, and we want you to travel all over France, and we're going to give you a credit card. You and your family. You and your family, right, you and your family, or, or maybe a small group and a chaperone or something like that. Travel all over France. Just spend the whole summer traveling all over France. But twice a day, pull the crystal out, do the whammy, and look for Fringeworth. Right, exactly. That's the only stipulation, the only thing you have to do to earn that trip. Because while you're out there with that crystal, they don't have to pull some well-trained adult explorer off of the, the active list and have them carry that crystal around doing the same thing. Waylay will kiss your character for that. <laughs> <laughs> Now that you mentioned it, like what jobs would they do? I can see them taking on jobs at Hatsumi Station, you know, like uh, supply sergeants and stuff like that, just to get their feet wet in that environment. Um, I can also see them doing a lot of courier missions where they don't ever go off the pathway on that mission. Their mission is just to relay information or drop off supplies, and they're literally just part of a convoy. You know, you might have one adult, a couple teenagers with them to run that mission because if everything goes the way it's supposed to, they're not going to encounter anything. And if they do encounter something, their mission is to run away from it. Well, you're going to have these kids sitting there in this convoy, and you're going to be sitting there going, this is I did. This is being fringe-worthy. We're sitting there in these trucks for hours at a time, and this is what you people have been telling me. Oh, it's so exciting. Oh, it's worse than that. For hours at a time with no music. <laughs> right. 
that's not true. Why can't you have music, John? There's mechanical devices that produce music. They're called record players. Yeah, wind-up record players. Yeah, yeah, but still, if you have going over the ramp and make the record skip. <laughs> yeah, once once every 49 miles. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you're, you're getting music. I think you'll do a, a skip once in a while. Right. But no, yeah. kids are going to be sitting there, and you know they, they crave excitement. They've been told, oh, the fringe pads, all sorts of, we're in a convoy shipping mail, or we're bringing back grain. Have them take over uh, one of the mail routes for a week. Right. Yep. They're, and they're going to be bored until they come up on fringe pirates attacking the convoy. Then you're going to hear all these kids screaming like a bunch of little girls as they realize this just got real. Right. right. Now they're running away from the fringe pirates who see this vehicle suddenly do a bootlegger reverse 180 and start heading away while everyone else is trying to engage them. And they're like, okay, who's running away? That's got to be the most important thing. Yeah, forget these guys. Let's go after the gold. Let's go after the real treasure here. And now you've got this this chase down the fringe paths with 22-millimeter uh, cannon blowing off. Oh, no, Bruce, no. That's, that's when they pulled out the diesel motorcycles and get them started and then pop, and pop them on the other side and run past the defenders. That would yeah. be a good adventure. Have them on a convoy. It would be a good way to introduce them to combat. Let's say they're in the convoy and all of a sudden these kids are in the truck, you know, like, okay, yeah, we're on this truck. Yeah, Wait a minute, we're hearing guns. We're hearing shooting. And it's quiet. And they get out of the truck and they're it. The weapons are there. All of the adults are gone. Dead or taken by the pirates or whatever. And now they have to. It's like all of a sudden they're forced to grow up. They don't have the proficiency to use the weapons, so they're going to be using the weapons uh, like firearms at a minus four. Things like that. I mean, that would be an interesting campaign. These kids are now going to have to be at the top of their game in a totally different environment that they're used to. I mean, to be honest, the first time someone starts shooting at you, it's going to be a, a, a challenge to not just crawl into a ball and, and hide. But that's what this is about. It's your first combat. It's your first realization that all the training you've taken is because there's people dying out here. You want to make it meaningful. You want to make it real. Someone's character may die. Depends on the tone of your campaign, and that's why you have like one real mission a year, because the ramifications of it may take a year to shake out or more after this happens. You're like, oh, gee, man, I, I just not good enough with guns. I'm going to have to get better at this, and we need to study all the different worlds on this fringe map so that we know when we have to turn around, where's the nearest safe portal we can go through so we can get some local people between us and these guys. Because that's what I do. If I was on a platform where there was a battle going on, the first thing I would think it would be not turn around and go back down the fringe pass where I've got 49 miles until the next safe place. I would say, is there any open portals on this world at all that we could jump through and maybe get away from these guys? If you met them on the path, fringe parts. Remember we were talking about using the, the, the squirrel suits to fly around? Jeez, that's a tactic I would think pirates would use. Start flying around around the pathway and going and see the kids run off. They go after them. You know, you have the flying pirates. You know what I see though? I see the kids using the squirrel suits as a uh, as an extreme sport. 
Oh, yeah. I can also see the kids using the squirrel suits as a means of bailing out of their vehicles when they're seeing the pirates and floating up into the sky and hopefully disappearing long enough for rescue to come, reinforcements to arrive. So you have this whole cat and mouse thing going on on the fringe paths in the air where the pirates are trying to find them and grab them and drag them back down. Not fly outside the air bubble. Right. Flying, crossing over and dropping and maybe some acrobatics going on, some grappling checks. That could have a lot of tension. Of course, we're, talk- we're talking kids. Yeah. yeah. And, they're, and they're boys, they're up there going, you know, we got to do something. Yeah, you're right. We got to do something. I got a pistol. Uh, I got a knife. Let's go get him. Yeah. Well, that could happen, too. Yeah. No plan lasts beyond the first contact with the players. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have some contingencies. I think there's lots of opportunities for things to happen just as they're traveling around. It's all about first. The first time you actually stood up and decided to bring the battle back to the enemy. That's a first. Oh, yeah. Your first gunshot wound. Yeah. The first time you've had to take a human life or a sentient life. Right. Don't think that that wouldn't freak out a teenager. Yep. Yeah. Sure. It's not like it is in the, in the first-person shooter. It's totally different. Yeah. <laughs> you stab them, and they keep bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. It is so red. It's so red. It's like, oh, my God, I shot him, and blood went everywhere. Like, literally, no, like, everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere, <laughs> and other things happen, too, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah. yeah, the screaming and the yelling and the crying, yeah. The concept of children who are born fringe-worthy and raised fully to be explorers on the fringe paths, the campaign in which that can be played out will introduce players to firsts of all types, not only firsts of a mundane nature, but also firsts of a nature indicative of a fringe explorer. As we've said, the first contact, first time through a portal first wound in combat, first taking of a life. It's a new way to explore Fringeworthy because you are dealing with somebody who is being raised by it, as opposed to a typical Fringeworthy character where you're just walking down the street and all of a sudden, after six months of training in the desert in Australia, you're on the Fringe paths. Fringe Brat campaign would be, you're pretty much raised from birth that you know you're going to be on the Fringe paths and you are raised differently. It's an interesting twist on the Fringeworthy campaign, and one that we hope you players and GMs out there will explore, and hopefully we get some feedback on this. TriTacGamers.com, our Yahoo group, our Facebook page. Please let us know if and when you guys try these ideas. Let us know how they work out for you and the variations and the twists and the variants that you come up with. All right. Thank you, Trav. No problem. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.
the Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.